say it's irony because I'm not sure how enlightened we got. There was a French philosopher, René Descartes. And while as uh, he was a believer, Descartes was a believer, he, he developed a, an, arg a, an argument for the existence of God. But yet, he said, I want to develop a philosophy that is self-evident, that is without any weaknesses whatsoever. So he said, this is how I'll start. I will start by doubting everything and look for one self-evident truth, and that self-evident truth will be the foundation of every truth that comes after it. And so he began by doubting everything. Does that remind you of any creature in any garden somewhere? That was the character of the basis of modern philosophy, and this is the self-evident truth to which he arrived. Many of you know this, you've been taught this. Cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore I am. That statement is the basis of all modern thought, all modern science. Now let me ask you, as you listen to that say statement, who is central in that statement? Who is the central reality in that statement? Is it God? No. It's me. I think, therefore, I am. That is the self-evident truth to which all following thought succumbed. And you can just trace it through the philosophy. Locke was a believer. He argued also for the existence of God. But yet Locke says, from, from following Descartes, Locke says, the Engli Descartes was, of course, French, Locke was English, and he said, you know what, there is an objective reality out there, but, but we, we all perceive it a little bit differently, and so therefore, I'm not sure how sure of the objective reality we can be, because we all have our individual perceptions. Following him was Berkeley, from which this divide got a little bit wider. He said, well, I, I don't know, I, you know, if our perceptions are fuzzy, then how can we even be sure that there is an objective reality out there? If our perceptions are mistaken, so therefore, I think the objective reality depends really on our perceptions. He came up with the phrase, esse est percepi, which means to be is to be perceived. In other words, if we don't perceive something, it really doesn't exist for us. So you see this absolute objective reality starting to fade, and now the attention comes on our own perceptions. From there, Hume, who was not a believer, said, you know what, I'm not even sure there is anything but a material existence that we can, can experience on our own, and we're not even sure of that, and so really the only thing that matters is my own opinion. How many people do you see today, do you hear today, to say, well, it's just a matter of opinion. I mean, your opinion, my opinion, I mean, I'm not sure anybody, you can, you can never tell who's right, it's just your opinion against my opinion. And so there's this complete abandonment of this concept of transcendent truth. Kant then carried it on and systematized it in his philosophical thinking. He wanted uh, what he called um, autonomous thought, that is, don't depend, in, he, wanted, he wanted to mature people in their thinking, he says, even though he was a believer, he said, don't, don't depend on anything handed down to you from above. No, you've got to think things through yourself. And, and we can't really know. You can have faith in that world, but we can't really know about that world. So what we've got to do is build this world. 
And so there was this divide in thinking. And then there was the divide in politics. Jean-Jacques Rousseau said, well, neither will we be handed anything uh, behaviorally from above. We'll decide ourselves. And so it developed throughout the years that more and more we just concentrated on the world, which is exactly where we are today. You want to see best-selling books? The overwhelming best-selling books are how-to how -to books how to cope with everyday life, how to do this, how to do that. There is this huge concentration on the world until we have almost glorified only the world. You know, that's predicted in Scripture. In Romans 1, it says this, starting with verse 21. It talks about a people who, even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations. You understand? Futile in their speculations. And their foolish heart was darkened. Verse 23. And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. Verse 25. And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. So what really became important were that, those things which were profane. profane. Profane means, literally, before the temple. Profanum. Outside the temple. In other words, everyday life in itself became important. You can see that in pop art. Andy Warhol made these kinds of pictures famous. Show us the first Andy Warhol portrait. Campbell Soup Cans. This was a famous portrait. People going, wow, rows and rows of Campbell Soup Cans. This sold for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, and not only the cans, but the stars. Show us Marilyn. Rows and rows of Marilyn Monroe. And so you see, what we were starting to image and what we were starting to therefore pay attention to was not God at all anymore, but everyday life. That's what was important to us. That's what was being expressed by us. That was what was being worshipped by us. Now, how does this relate to an individual life? Simply in this way, as we have lost, as a culture, this transcendent unity on God, life has come apart in our culture. Our culture doesn't even make a sense. It, 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 it shoots itself in the foot all the time uh, uh, anymore. Nobody can look at the United States and say, well, that makes sense, you know? But you know what the biggest problem is in most people's lives? What is the biggest felt need? If I were to ask you this question, what is the biggest felt need in your life right now? About 90% of you would say, it's just not organized. I just feel like I'm going everywhere, you know? If I could just have time to sit down and get it organized because I'm just doing this and I'm doing that and I'm doing that and I'm just, I feel totally overwhelmed. My life is broken up into pieces. Exactly. Exactly. You know why? Because you've lost your topic sentence. You failed to relate everything back to Jesus Christ. How does this fit with Christ? There are so many people who work so hard, who go to bed every night and lay there and think, now what did I accomplish today? And there's no sense of accumulated good whatsoever. They say, I poured all my time into something that I've got to go back and pour my time into tomorrow. It isn't getting better. 
Every time I fix it, it falls apart. Every time I fill it, it drains. What does this mean? You see, all of our attention is broken up into the little bits of life instead of the overall picture that makes sense to us. And we can't relate it to eternity anymore. There are people who don't even know who they are anymore. They turn around one day and they say, you know, I'm not even sure who the real me is because I'm different with this person than I am with this person. And I'm different with these people over here. I'm kind of like everybody I'm with. Why? Because you lost your topic sentence. Because everything that comes out of you is not a reflection of who Christ is in you. It's a reflection of who others want you to be. What is the solution? The solution is in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. And I'll just say this, and then we're going to take communion, because this is the greatest unifying sacrament we have. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divinely but are but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. That means stupid ways of thinking. For we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against God. That is a philosophy of man. Every lofty thing is the way, the way men think. Okay? Every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking, here it is, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, I've just given you this lecture on history and philosophy, and you're sitting there going, okay, so come on now. What's, how, do, how do I relate that? How do I do that? I'm going to give you a very practical invitation. I'm going to be doing this, and I want you to do it with me. I want you to take an inventory in the next few weeks of every thought you think, of everything you do. And I want you to ask yourself this question if you're a Christian. How does that relate to Jesus Christ? How does that relate to Jesus Christ? Now, I want to warn you up front, a lot of them are going to have relationships to Jesus Christ, but they're going to be negative relationships. Don't be, don't be frightened by that, you know? I want you to see how everything in life has a meaning. Everything in life, whether we intend for it to not, or not, does build a pattern. And if you begin to do that every day with your thoughts. If, you, if that is a secondary thought, how does this relate to Jesus Christ? How does this express Jesus Christ? How does this relate back to Jesus Christ? You know what's going to happen? This is the most wonderful thing in the whole world. You're going to begin to bring every thought, every action captive to Jesus Christ. And your life, watch this, will take on transcendent meaning like it never has before. You're going to see how everything you do every day is related to God. It's an eternal thing. It's not just a wasted effort. It's something you're doing for God and in God. Or it's something you're turning away from so that you can be with God. And your life will be amazingly unified and amazingly meaningful. Will you do that with me? Every thought, every action, how does this relate to Jesus Christ? Now, in order to do that, We've got to come back to our original source of unity. We've got to come back to our topic sentence. 
And so we have to again declare the basis upon which we are unified individually and we are unified as a people. The basis is this. We're all sinners. Do I, I can never say that too much. We're all sinners. We all missed the boat. But Jesus Christ died for every one of us. And those of us who have accepted his gift of forgiveness are all unified. Our lives are together. Even though they seem scattered and our thoughts are scattered and they're foolish, foolish speculation, they're all together. And so we've got to declare that togetherness, both individually and as a body. Please pray with me. God, we, we know Satan, the God of this world, has gotten into our thoughts and divided our thoughts from you. He has made everyday life seem somehow unrelated to you when really you are in the midst of every action, of every circumstance. Oh God, help us see you again. Help us with our eyes of faith to understand that everything we do and everything we think and everything we are does relate to you. Pull our lives back together and help us as we go to this table this morning to understand that you have renewal for us. You have a, a way to organize and unite every effort so that what has accumulated over our years is what will last forever. We thank you as we partake together. In Jesus' name, amen.
Would the communion service please come forward? And as they're coming forward, let me invite all of you who are followers of Christ to partake of this sacrament. Let me also invite you as we begin the distribution to confess your sins to God, knowing that, as the scripture says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then enjoy the forgiveness. Enjoy the purity as you listen to this song that declares our oneness in Christ. Amen.
the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for thee, preserve thy soul and body unto everlasting life. Take this in remembrance that Christ died for thee, and feed on him in thy heart by faith with thanksgiving. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for thee, preserve thy soul and body unto everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ died for thee, and be thankful. Lord, we begin in gratitude, and we close in gratitude. Help our gratitude be so evident that others are led to the source of all giving, all knowledge, all wonderful living, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?
Before you go, let me remind you that we've got a prayer team. If you'd like to continue to pray with someone this morning, those folks are going to be right over here on the right side of the sanctuary. And we invite you to come and pray with them. If there's any need in your life that you need a brother or a sister to agree with you on and pray for you, they would be glad to do that. Let me also encourage you this morning, if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, and as you've heard this talk about the wrong ways that we've been influenced, and you know that you've never taken hold of the right way, and you'd like to come and have someone pray with you about that again, they would love to do that with you before you go. As, uh, as we have had this time of celebration and thanksgiving, let me also encourage you, if you'd like to go around the corner and visit... Um, Northland Lutheran Church uh, right over there on 1792. Uh, there will be some folks over there after this service and they'd love to show you around and answer any questions that you might have regarding that facility. Would you hear now these words? They are Jesus's words of prayer that he prayed to the Father. It's recorded in John 17. Pay attention to his topic sentence. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. Go and live that out in your life this week. Amen. Amen.